My guest today is a senior sales director with ServiceNow. Described by one of her colleagues as one of the best sales leaders I've ever had the pleasure of working with. She is both brilliant and empathetic. You won't find a better leader who can create such a truly inspiring culture. Another colleague of hers that she says she's an inspirational sales leader who has an innate ability to understand the unique characters in her team and to know exactly how to motivate them individually to reach their potential. She was fundamental in my success as a sales rep and I would work with her again in a heartbeat. Another colleague adds, she is a consummate professional. She has a can-do attitude and is always willing to step up and see a task through whatever the requirement might be. Rachel Phillips, you're very welcome to the podcast. Some very nice accolades there. And by the way, I could have put many more in there just from your own LinkedIn profile. How do they make you feel when you hear those? It, it, they, they have actually come without even uh, asking or even suggesting. You know, maybe in my early days, I might have tried to look at could somebody help me in futuring my career with saying some great words. And in actual fact, the three that I think you've picked on, I, I never even expected or asked for. And they do huge amounts for me, you know, they make me realize perhaps where I have strengths I didn't even know. Um, and they also allow me to think I will continue to carry on as a very authentic leader and be myself because it obviously is working. So yeah, it's really great to have that feedback. Yeah. Um, yeah. Feedback's incredibly important, whether it's positive or, or, or in actual fact, even if it's a growth feedback, it's really important to continue to have that. Yeah, and the one that always jumps out at me is the one, and, and it's clear in yours, where one of them says, I would work with her again in a heartbeat. That, to me, is the, is the acid test of a true leader, is are people willing to, to follow them, rather than, because you come with positional authority, but it's the, it's, it's the I'm willing to follow them regardless, is really, to me, is the measure of a true leader. So kudos on that one. Um, Demi, you, you grew up in Loughborough. You went to college in Birmingham. And you did a master's in Warwick. Uh, what was, I, I, and I ask that, I'm, I'm always interested when I hear anything to do with the Midlands in the UK, because I lived for several years in Leicester and drove up and down to Beast in Nottingham. So I would have passed by Loughborough on a regular basis. What was it like for you growing up? Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I, I, I went to an all-girls school, actually, from incredibly, you know, from a very young age until I went to university. Um, and, I, I, you know, one of the other things I realised when I got to university is I was from a small town. Um, and, uh, and But the other thing is I chose to go from an all-girls school to study engineering. And so I remember walking in on my first day into that large lecture hall, realizing I had to work out where to sit. And I'd never sat next to a boy in in a course and sat down and educated myself. And, and it, you know, it was just right. OK, walk in there, take your seat, Rachel, and let's do this. But yeah, it was it wasn't something that I thought of until that actual day came um, and then, you know, moved to Birmingham, a massive city, um, and, studied, and started studying engineering. And I'm really glad I did. You know, it, it opened my eyes, and uh, I couldn't think of a better course to do than to study to be an engineer. It's funny, you started in college in the same year 
as I started, I would say my first proper job, which was as a software engineer in Nottingham. So not too far away. And what I do remember was the building we were in, there was one female. It, engineering wasn't something that many females went into. I'm going to guess it was the same in your college course. You were in a minority. Yes, absolutely the minority by some way. Um, I think there were about four of us who finally graduated on my particular course, but there was a handful in each of the different engineering courses. Um, and But it didn't, it, that was okay. I was okay with that. It didn't feel unusual. Um, I was just so keen to, to study engineering and really, you know, engineering is about problem solving. And I, I feel like I've forever wanted to do that and continue to do that. But it was, it was okay. I didn't realize I was probably forging the way for other females at the time. I just went on in and studied. Um, and quite often, you know, used to have uh, seminar sessions with a lot of the, my friends who were mainly men and used to teach them, you know, what they'd missed in the courses that they hadn't turned up to. Oh, curious, was there anything in your growing up that marked you out uh, with an engineering interest? Well, my father is uh, a retired um, reader from Loughborough University, uh, and he studied, well, he was a, a mechanical engineering, actually, is what he he taught. Um, so really, I suppose that would have been a massive influence. Um, my brother, who actually is pro-vice-chancellor at Newcastle now, used to buy old cars and tinker with cars all the time, and he always needed somebody to help him. So I'd always be there helping him while he was welding the bottom of a Morris Minor or something. So there must have been something in it. Um, but yeah, I've always been curious about how things work, why things work the way they work. And I think I wanted to go a little bit further and explore that to understand you know, how I could take that into business. But I always also knew I wanted to be in business. I didn't quite know what that meant, but that's why I did not only engineering, but I did engineering and commerce. And you went from there, I remember what I read was to PTC, which was an interesting organization because that was, was a, a, they had a fantastic product at the time, uh, but they were also a very strong sales culture from what I remember. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's not actually how I got there. Um, in actual fact, I started off as a graduate with Lucas Engineering, and there are not going to be many people who remember Lucas Engineering, which then got bought by TRW and subsequently been bought. And I went from Lucas uh, to actually do my master's at Warwick. I was a senior research fellow at Warwick. And at the time, I was sponsored by two software companies, and one of them eventually uh, was bought by PTC. And it was one of the sponsors who was on my research project from PTC who suggested, did I want to actually work for this software company? And I think I had lost a little bit of interest in manufacturing directly, but I thought it'd be interesting to go into something that was slightly faster moving um, in technology. And that's how I got to PTC. And I was a process consultant initially, but worked my way through to being a, um, a regional consulting director, actually, in the South. For a number of consultants it was a, a very interesting company um i you know had some phenomenal technology from a cad cam product life cycle management perspective but yes it's definitely where i learned my sales uh, so it's where i got into sales and learned that you know the early days of sales and you spent quite a number of years at, at oracle what was that like it's a company i've done i'm familiar with but what was your experience 
So Oracleite joined uh, back in 2004, an actual fact when it was the database company. And oh my goodness, over the years, did it grow and grow and grow. And it went from, you know, walking into an office where you knew everybody to walking into the office not knowing many people. And it it was, for me, it was very good. It was, you know, a great time to join. I had numerous roles and that's really where I got my breadth of experience in technology, which enables me to do the job I do today. I've worked in the Alliance's channels. I've worked in incubator product areas as a tech director. I've worked in uh, what we might call co-prime sales and I've worked in prime sales. So it has given me a huge breadth of experience, which really does stand me in good stead. Um, it, 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 I had some challenging times and I had some good times. You know, one of the other things I did is I was a part-time sales director and I was the only part-time sales director at the time. And I really forged the way there for allowing people to think that it, it was possible to do that. And in actual fact, I didn't forge the way for other women necessarily, but I did for men who were perhaps seeing the end of their career, who wanted to step down in hours, but didn't want to necessarily leave their, their job. And so I was really proud of that as well. And I was also very grateful for Oracle for believing in me to be able to do it. That's interesting. I'd never looked at it that way uh, where somebody for maybe, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a sort of end of career. There could be some other, could be for paternity reasons, any reasons. Um, I, I, I didn't know Oracle had that. Is, is, it, is it common in the industry now? I don't think it's probably as common as it should be. Um, and really, it does, you know, each individual has to be, I think, you have to look at it down to the individual, what they're really looking for. I'd say now, if I was to really challenge the situation now, I would just really have been asking for flexible working. But at the time, um, in, and the fact is, we can now work remotely. You know, I'm very grateful to what, in some ways, I'm sorry to say that in terms of the COVID pandemic, but I'm very grateful that it finally broke through that barrier of what remote working was about and that we can't ever challenge it again. Because really, maybe that's what I was looking for, is really that flexibility to be able to be home, be able to be here for my children when they got back from school or to be able to go to their productions, etc. But at the time, I didn't want the stress of knowing I had to work those hours. So I did ask for, for part time. And as I say, you know, Oracle gave me that opportunity, and I'm very grateful, but they trusted me to do that too. Um, and again, that comes down to an individual uh, decision. Yeah, I, I, I see that a lot more with, and it's particularly in technology companies where there's a lot the, the relationship and the contract if you like the the moral contract with their employees is much more based on trust now than it used to be it used to be i want to see you although if i can't see you you're not working yeah i think where, this recent um this recent lockdown this recent working from home re the reality is that nobody had a choice it had to it, we had to convert quickly um, and it's really accelerated the digital transformation as well, which, I, you know, I'm obviously thrilled to be part of and to be helping. But nobody had a choice. But it did absolutely break down the barriers of that people have believed that you had to be in an office to do a job. Yes, there will always be certain roles that need to be office bound. But if we could really think about the opportunity of remote working and how we will attract talent that we've never been able to attract before, 
it's really going to have an impact on the workforce. Yeah. I think yeah. we'll see the benefits of in the future. I, I think so. To, to paraphrase an old quote is necessity is the mother of all transformation, I think. Um, and, and, I, and I think it has, for, for the better, it's forced people to do things in a way that they would have maybe been fearful of. Um, you said something I wanted to talk to you about, Rachel, was a quote, uh, was about working differently, working from home. And, and it was quite interesting, and I'm just quoting from an article you wrote. I've chosen to embrace the many positives that have emerged from the COVID crisis, just as I've had to in my own life before. And what jumped out at me on that was the chosen. Talk to me a little bit about what was behind that, that statement. I th well, I think the statement is to do with the fact that I have had some career, um, sorry, life-changing events um, in the last three years in actual fact. Unfortunately, I lost my husband um, when I was in between jobs with Oracle and ServiceNow. Uh, and I have two boys who are still at school and were younger at the time. And, you know, you have to, you have a choice at that point in time. You have a choice, you know. Do you take that step forward and forge a life, a happy life for those children? Or, you know, do you give up? And you know what? I didn't feel, for, for me, I didn't have a choice because my children deserve to have a happy life. And so I knew that the moment I received that news, I had to get up and take a step forward. And I took that step forward to believe that we will move forward. They will have a happy life. They deserve everything that they had before, as they do now. And that my husband, their father, had given them an amazing foundation, and I wasn't going to let that go. So, you know, we hit COVID last year, and, yeah, it, it was very difficult. It was difficult for everybody. But in actual fact, I could see the positives that it brought as well, and I chose to embrace the positives. And that is, um, you know, to think about how... It could actually change the world of work, how people and organizations will actually see digital transformation for what it is and what it can bring and how it can really help the economy. Um, and I, again, I, I look at how many colleagues and friends of mine and peers that have had to give up their careers in the past due to the restrictions of a working day and a working environment that could come back into this workforce and obviously add significant value to the economy. Mm. Rachel, most of us can only begin to imagine what it must be like to lose a life partner and also particularly, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when you've got young children too um, because you just, you just can't give up on them either. And that must be incredibly difficult. Um, it, it sounded like at one level that it almost prepared you for this crisis in terms of shaping your outlook a little? Maybe it did. And I don't know if I've reflected on it like that, Paul, mm. but it, what it did do is it made me realize I was resilient and so are my children. And so, and realistically, until you face something like that, you perhaps don't really realize how resilient you are. You know, when you meet your life partner and, and my husband, Rule Phillips, was definitely my life partner. I used to actually refer to him as my world and my rock and that I couldn't survive without him. Um, and the reality is I have survived. 
of course I would do anything to have him back today, but I have survived without him. And in actual fact, that has given me, um, you know, a different outlook and a different perspective. And in actual fact, made me stronger. Um, so every time we are faced with, you know, difficult times and challenging times, I do look at, you know, okay, how, what do we do? How do we look at the positives? What can I take on board from this? And how do we move forward? Um, and I did that with the children, you know, we're going to train together, we're going to exercise together, um, we're going to eat together, and I'll find out other things that we can do. And I'm very grateful, actually, for the time that I've had with them to to really get to know them as well. There's also times, don't get me wrong, that uh, I could have, you know, thrown them out of the house a few times. And I was very grateful last week that they went back to school. <laughs> and we naturally need our breaks from each other. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing them, you know, after the school day or the, the week, because one of them is a boarder. Did you know you had that kind of resilience in you? No, without a doubt, I didn't. Um, I certainly didn't, uh, not to the level and extent that obviously I've addressed. Um, and that may be because I had such a, an amazing husband who I always fell back on and um, saw as my rock and my world. But I think he knew I did. I think he always knew I did. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that. Um, and I continue to surprise myself today still as to what I have done and how I've moved forward. But let me not also underestimate the friends and the family and the work network that continually support me as well. Um, ServiceNow were incredible to, in their support. Remember, I hadn't even joined the company and they still supported me from the day I'd signed my contract. And I didn't walk into that office for several months until I was ready. And that would have been just for one cup of coffee with the HR director at the time. And I gradually worked my way back and they totally believed in me and they'd never met, met me in the working environment. I'd just been through an interview. And then continually, you know, they support me, my colleagues support me. They supported me actually back to speak out. Um, and that's my direct team who, my sales directors and my, my director of sales consulting, who have said to me, my story is powerful and it inspires people. And that's now how I've realized that it's important that I talk about what I've been through to inspire others. Um, friends and family, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have carried on or even been able to get do the job I do if it wasn't for them picking up things as, as I needed the help around me that you know, got me to where I am. Yeah, it's, 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 it, what I'm hearing quite strongly come out of that is that we're not alone, that we have, we have support and we should embrace it. And that can get us through almost anything. Absolutely, now, yeah. Whether I'm, it's work or, or home, absolutely. Curious then when we take that forward and we look at something like COVID where it's affecting everybody. And for people maybe who are struggling with it right now in terms of where we are, there's hope. And the UK is further along than almost any other country. Kudos. Um, but, but people are, there's still a fatigue, I think, in, in, out there. And not everybody has a great working environment. I have been on Zoom calls with classes and 
I'll see people bouncing kids on their knee trying to attend the class and in the background their partner is on another call with their company and they may be living in an apartment with no back garden. So, you know, that, that thing that we're all in the same boat together, we're all in the same storm together, but that people have different boats. And, and I wondered, had, had you any kind of words of advice for people in terms of who, who may be kind of struggling with their own resilience? Is there a process to it? Is there a way of, how do, I guess, let me step back a little bit. How do you reorient your, your perspective to take the positive in things rather than dwell in the negatives, particularly when others around you are experiencing something similar, may not be so sympathetic. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I'm very aware that I, I do appreciate that I am in a, a great position of I have a home that's big enough for my children to homeschool in different rooms to myself, and I have absolutely considered that with some of the young young people we have in our organization where you know they've done a zoom where they're in the kitchen and then they literally sit down at the table and that's their office and i think that gosh that's that's very difficult um so i can't speak out as to what that would be like and it would be wrong of me to say i understand because i don't because i'm not in that situation all i can talk about is when you know, how do I find the resilience or or how do I look at the positives? And I I have to say one of the things that I do is I do a, quite a bit of exercise. I um, make sure I make time for myself and I do get out. I definitely believe I need to get out. I need to walk. I need to run. I need to cycle. I need to do whatever I need to do to free my mind of where I'm at to free myself of where I physically locate myself as well, to to get out and and to change the dynamics of where I'm, you know, what's going on. It gives me time to think as well. Um, but one of the things that I believe I do have um, is it's important to take in detail because it brings colour. And I heard that only for the first time the other day and I realised that myself. And what I mean by that is when you are out or you or you see things is to take in the detail because you'll realize that, you know, the sun is shining or, you know, it's starting the starts of spring and it sounds so small, but it's actually really important. It's not to lose the detail um, because it does bring you color. And that's the sort of positives at that level of positivity. You've got to start to be able to, to really work out of where you are. I mm. always have things to look forward to. You know, I always make sure I have things to look forward to. And I know in lockdown, it was like, well, what is there to look forward to? Because it's usually a holiday. Um, and then it would perhaps be a Zoom with somebody I hadn't spoken to for a long time, a connection I hadn't had for for ages, or or, um, or something with my children. You know, the minute I realised lockdown had been extended, I said, right, every Saturday is going to be takeaway night and movie night. And each one of us gets to choose the takeaway in the movie and nobody's allowed to debate it. I mean, there have been some really interesting movies that I've had to watch, but we did it. And every Saturday we'd be looking forward to it and we'd make it a topic of conversation at dinner. You know, what's your movie going to be? What's your takeaway going to be? Yes, we'd all have an opinion, but um, but I, I do things like that is what can we look forward to? Because we're human, we need things to be positive about. Mm. 
Mm. So what I'm hearing in that is one, take control, um, building those moments. Two is the, the detail. It's like figuratively and literally stopping to smell the roses, paying attention to what's around us. That could be clouds, it could be flowers, whatever, but it makes us more present and kind of sh almost shuts out whatever else is going on inside our head and it stops the negative thinking and, and exercise. I think just getting out and, and walking. Yeah, yeah, whatever that whatever that film takes or whether that's listening to music or taking a break from what's going on. But yeah. I, I, I totally agree, control is really important. And one of the things that I have actually learned since, before, you know, since my husband passed away and I was very poor at is living in the moment. I never lived in the moment. I'd be planning one day, one week, one month, one year ahead and I have learned to live in the moment more because realistically this is where life is it's today it's not tomorrow were you always like that Rachel or was it just something that evolved because the work required it in terms of not living in the moment you mean yeah always kind of been driven to achieve that's often where it comes from like I got to pass these exams so you're focused on that then I got to get to college then I got to find a job and and it's all future orientation it could well be. I've not really reflected on it. I just remember um, some time ago ha sort of doing those, doing some psychoanalytic research, etc. and somebody doing an assessment of myself, and they said to me, you don't live in the moment. And I, I, I totally acknowledged it. I said, you're absolutely right, I don't. But then how much do I miss because I'm not living in the moment? And I, it, and I continued like that for some time until, yeah, until... You know, my husband passed away and I absolutely lived in the moment at that point. Without a doubt, I lived in the moment. There was no future, right? There was no tomorrow. I had to just get to the end of that day. And I think, although that was, you know, not a particularly positive, I did also learn to live in the moment. And I think I did that in lockdown. I learned to live in the moment. I learned to appreciate that, you know, we were all here. We're all going to be together and let's embrace it. Yeah. Do you think that you'll you'll hold on to that when things hopefully go back to normal? I, I do really, really want to make sure there's a lot more to embrace that we don't allow to revert back to to where it was. And there, there's more to it than the working um, just where we work. And, and let me perhaps dig into that a little bit deeper. And I probably brought this out in my blog, but you know when you're in the sales environment that, that we're in, you know, quite often you may commute into London to the London base office, et cetera. And then people say, oh, should we go for a beer after work? You know, and I love a beer, to be honest. And I love socializing, but I can't. I can't just go for a beer because I have to get back. I have to pick up my kids. I have to cook dinner for them. There is nobody else to do that. But that doesn't make me any less talented. It doesn't let, make me any less valuable. I can still do the job that I do incredibly well, um, but I can't necessarily do those extra fringe uh, elements of, of the role, let's say. But to the point that, you know, that could be going out for dinner with a customer. I'd have to think about that in, well in advance of, of an event. And the advantage that somebody else 
has, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a male or a female. I'm saying those that have either a spouse or a nanny or an au pair or somebody or a wife or a husband that can pick up those other other things perhaps doesn't have to think as detailed as that. So when COVID hit and we're all sat at home and the work now is all about the work, it's all about actually doing the job without those extra elements in, I realised everybody was in the same boat as me. I was an equal. And that was the first time I realised I felt less stressed about the robotic mother who gets up, gets dressed, gets the kids ready, gets them to school, goes to work, makes sure she finishes on time, gets back to school, etc. But also made me an equal in terms of the fact that nobody else was able to take customs out for dinner or go for their beer, etc. Because we all have to be at home. And that's so it, that's really, really, really interesting, yeah. Because, I, again, I, I, I do understand, and, and it can be sometimes a male-female thing, but it, but, but it shouldn't be. It, it's more to do with attachment and responsibility than, like, if you're really young and, and unattached, you, you, you can do those kind of things. Because I know that my wife would have been at home all day, and it wouldn't go down too well if I just decided to go out with colleagues for a beer or dinner that evening. It would be different if I was traveling and I was out of the country and I was away anyway. That's different. But when I was at home, uh, she'd been working hard all day on that and needed r relief from that too. So, uh, yeah, it's about responsibilities that you have. And, and you're right, it's, it's a level playing pitch. I don't know, though, that as, as, as this changes, I mean, is that just one of those things that, look, that's just tough, that's life when you've got responsibilities you're just not going to be able to do these things because when we go back to normal and people start to socialize again, it's only natural people are going to want to go out and work after some beers or for dinner or with a, with a customer. And, 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 it's and so therefore what we're talking about is really just temporary and it's more of an observation than long term. I think what I will ask is for people to, con to continue to be authentic. So if we go back to, you know, when we all started in the lockdown, eventually we all realized it's okay for your child to interrupt you in a meeting. It's okay for, I don't have a cat, but you know, the cat to crawl across your laptop. It's okay for the Amazon parcel guy, especially around December time, you know, we were being interrupted you know, every day with numbers of parcels turning up. It's okay to be you. It's okay to have that life and, you know, and to be proud of your children and your pets and whatever else is going on. And what I would challenge is, please don't forget that when we go back to more of an office bound, more of a commute social environment, is it's still okay to say, you know, I can't do these things because, you know, who's feeding the cat, who's feeding the dog, etc. Um, and it, I want to challenge that is let's continue this authenticity because realistically, authentic. Uh, people at the workforce, authentic leaders as well, are better leaders. Um, they make it's easier to work for somebody you know exactly what is going on in their lives or or who they are, and to work with people like that than it is to work trying to work out what's really going on um, with people and what are their challenges. And and that's why I think it's important. It's not necessarily the the socialising. You know, it's not that really that's important it's actually the authenticity got it 
Yeah, no, it make, makes perfect sense. Uh, tell me, you, you started out in life as, as an engineer and you're now in the people business, essentially. The thing I, I found was about engineering was that there's always an answer to every problem. You just need to find it. And you need, you can, there's, there's a process for diagnosing it. If it's software, there's, it's just pure logic, if then else. Um, then you try to understand people. And cracking that code is, is, is a whole other problem. What have you learned about people, about yourself, I guess, first of all, other than you mentioned resilience, but as you transition from engineering as a graduate into sales and then into people management and sales leadership, what did you learn about people and how they tick? And, 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 and guess what did you learn about yourself in that process as well? One of the things I didn't discuss with you is the first job I ever had at the age of 16 was actually a sales job. And at 16, I actually worked in a small uh, hi-fi shop. I mentioned that to my son the other day and he didn't know what a hi-fi was. But I worked in a small um, hi-fi shop in my town in Loughborough and I was the only female and I was a salesperson and I sold anything from, you know, big sort of speaker systems um, through to VHS players. And I remember always putting the customer at heart, not my quota, because I did, I had a quota at 16, but putting the customer at heart. And so, you know, if an elderly couple came in wanting a VHS player who had a lot of disposable income, I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in making sure that they got the right product for them. Okay. So I've, I've always realized, and that gave me huge satisfaction that I knew they walked out with exactly what they needed, not that I had got a huge amount of money towards my quota. Um, so I become an engineer, that's true. Uh, but remember, I did say I did want to understand also, I did co commerce and I was hugely interested in organizational change, the impact of organizational change, how it happens. Um, and I then you know, joined PTC and I actually went from being a process consultant to actually being a project manager, a program manager and very quickly went up through the ranks and I think it was because I had an interest in helping people achieve what they wanted to achieve as well as myself um, and it has been my, I suppose it, it is my interest in people, I wouldn't be in leadership if it wasn't for my fascination about what makes people tick, what doesn't make them tick how do they um, become, you know, top talent? How do I bring the best out in people? Um, and how do I also help those that aren't performing realize whether the situation they're in or the role they're in isn't right for them and make sure that they find other options? I also really enjoy mentoring. I do a lot of mentoring externally and internally. And I learn just as much as the mentees do as well. And I, that's really important to me is to continue to learn. Um, and I do a lot of reading and a lot of research to really understand what does make different individuals um, accelerate in life. I think when I was in my earlier years of management, I thought management was all about, you know, I was going to say dictating what tasks they had to achieve, etc. And I had to learn really fast. Um, and 
experience has just allowed me to understand that being authentic as well, myself authentic and leading authentically is probably some of the best things I can do in my role. I want to come back to you on that whole authenticity. You've mentioned it quite a, a number of times. Uh, before I do that, I want to go back to the 16-year-old you. You said the, about the elderly couple coming in looking for, a, again, VHS. What's VHS? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, At least I didn't say Betamax. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, but that shows incredible... Is it, is it maturity? Is it self-awareness? Because most 60... Well, I, I, I can't say most 16-year-olds. Certainly, I know when I was 16, if I was in that position, I feel my role would be just if people came in and they asked questions, I'd answer their questions. If they wanted something, I'd go get it for them. And I would see myself as just an intermediary. Whereas what I'm hearing from you was that you had a higher order interest, um, engagement, relationship with people. And I'm wondering where that came from. Because you might, you know, if, 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 if in, you know, in sales, you'll teach people why that's important. And then the worry is that they'll just be that person because it's a means to an end. Where with you, it just appeared that that's who you were. Now that must come from somewhere. And that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, um, I, and it, it's funny because there is another job I did, which was all about people, which I will explain in a moment, but I'm, I'm the youngest of four, um, but I was probably, and I still am, the one that tells everybody what to do in my family or how to do it. Uh, but I'm the youngest of four. I come from, my, both my parents were teachers, not in, in business. So that was an interesting thing in itself is how I didn't have really a role model in business. Um, and I, I, if, I, I've been taught huge amounts, very, not explicitly by my parents, but implicitly. Um, you know, I admire them for being in the education system or were, they've both retired long, long ago now. Um, and the other thing I've not mentioned to you is my husband was mixed race. And, it, you know, one of the things that my parents never taught me is to be prejudiced or um, and and to care about people. I mean, they cared about people. They put that was their career. Um, and I never had a concern, you know, introducing my husband to to my family when I met him and yet I know other people have said you know what did your parents say and I it must come from my parents and my brothers and my sister is that and in fact everybody else is in education in my family apart from my sister who's a psychoanalytic psychotherapist so she cares for people too mm -hmm. so maybe I was just the the odd one out in the fact that I just didn't take it through to a profession in terms of you know going into the caring industry yeah education industry um but one of the other things i did during university is i used to work for social services and i went around and helped the elderly get out of bed or put them to bed or feed them or go and sit with them um and i did that as my job i didn't do anything else and that definitely taught me that you know people are at the heart of the world this it, and i've always said if if anything were ever to happen i'd drop i would definitely go back to that job you know, that would be what I'd do. I worked in old people's homes and um, places like that, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved getting to know them and what they were about and what they'd done. And um, maybe there is something in that. Maybe that is at the heart of me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely there, and, and I think what's happened is perhaps is the profession you chose brought that out in you even more, brought it into a different domain, because you get to impact the lives of people, and you get to shape younger minds, uh, give them encouragement, direction, support, and, uh, and, 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 and the ripple effect that has on people in their lives, yeah. too. You mentioned the mentorship as well, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting to hear that. It's, it's gratifying, it really, really is. Um, and, and kind of brings me back full circle to the, the authenticity bit, because and I'm, this is a genuine question. I'm, I've struggled with this. I get the authenticity of what that means. But here's where I struggle with it, is that, and, and, and let's just take a sales environment, is that I'm not convinced that our employers, for example, or our customers necessarily want the real version of us unless that particular matches them. They want the version of us that is there to help them, support them, do what's right by them, but there's other parts of who we are that they, they don't, just don't care about because it's not relevant to them. And it's the harsh realities of business, I guess. And so I, I, I often wondered if, 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 if I was to, I guess this is where I struggle, if I was to be my authentic self with everybody, and if that means, and perhaps this is where I'm missing the, the bits, is I, I, I share with them exactly what I'm thinking about politics, the world. I, I think I'd lose half my friends overnight. That you tend to adapt and you be the person they want you to be. Now that doesn't mean that you're not also true to yourself. You see what I'm saying? I'm, 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 I do struggle with it, genuinely. I do, I do. But I'm also not strongly opinionated in certain areas as well, which probably helps. Um, I I also appreciate a real diverse thought, people's thinking. I, diversity and thought is one I think of the most interesting things I grab hold of. If because I live on my own now, quite often if I come up with an idea or or the likes of what's happening with COVID or when can we travel next, I generally try and have that conversation around a lot of people to work out what is where you know what is my thought process i'm not influenced by one person for sure um but when i yeah authenticity within reason i suppose yes um does but i would say my best customer relationships is where they really do know me and i know them and i can talk about open water swimming or mountain biking in the next breath of you know talking about what do we think about the news in the last you know 48 hours etc is that in actual fact it's not straight into work it is there is some some level of relationship there um i would say the customer authenticity is probably slightly different to the work authenticity with your team now that yeah. is where i definitely am authentic but i would never push my opinion on people yeah i think that's well, the, the, the line and let's let's take a uk example for example let's take and we we won't go too deep into brexit but let's, for example, you're with somebody who maybe say is an ardent, and it doesn't make a difference which side, but is on one side, let's say they're an ardent uh, anti-Brexit and you're pro-Brexit. Now, if you're authentic, you'll, you'll say that, but if that was to risk a relationship or that was to put off a prospect, 
you'd probably do the smart thing and say nothing. Do you know, but, Paul, I, I, I disagree. I probably wouldn't say what I am. I'd be yeah. genuinely interested in why they've done or why they've said what they've done or why have they done that. I have a real interest in when somebody's yeah. done something different to me. Gotcha. And I do not see it as a judgment. I see it as a, yeah. what have they seen that I haven't seen? What do they understand that I don't understand? That's usually how yeah. I see it. You know, and, and with the Brexit situation, I actually kept an open mind. Yes, oh. I did vote one way or another, right? But I was genuinely interested in the opposite as well. Genuinely interested in some people who I considered very similar backgrounds, similar education, have done the very opposite to me. But why? What do they know that I don't know? That's actually what's more interesting to me. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can see that. I can see that. Um, there's, I, I think there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's an, an envelope, a boundary to it as well. It's, I, I struggle whether it's, you know, are we authentic about our opinions? Because our opinions are just our opinions. It doesn't mean they're right. So how can you be authentic about something that is only just an opinion versus our values and who we are as individuals? I, I think that's, that's I, I can gravitate and I can understand that a lot more. Yes. Uh, yeah, and genuinely, I suppose at the heart of it, you know, most people have the similar values as such. You know, some have, but if if there's extremes values again, I, I'm genuinely interested in that. I I I love to learn about other people's religions. I like to learn about other people's views and um, what what made them who they are today. So I'd be I'd be intrigued as to other thought processes that other people go through. Um, yeah. So here's what I'm hearing from this, Rachel, is that you can be quite successful if you're authentic, if you're curious and genuinely interested in other people, because that's a very safe ground to be on. And I don't mean you're doing it for safe reasons. It's that's genuine and, and it's really, really positive. I think the world would be a much better place if we were more open, more tolerant, more curious about others and, and their whys. If, you're, if one was a more closed-minded individual, then being authentic to that meaning that you share that with others may not be so productive. And so I don't know that authenticity is a one-size-fits-all one glove. And maybe I'm just looking at it all wrong. I absolutely could be. I accept that. But it's such a conceptual thing that I sometimes struggle with understanding what it means because I won't always share what I'm thinking with somebody because... I may fear that, and, and I'm quite opinionated, people who know me will tell you that, but there are times where I just think it's the smart thing to keep dumb and keep your mouth shut. I, I also would think, to be honest, unless I knew my opinion was very, very well formed, mm. then I'm not going to voice my opinion until I've heard all, all the all different views. And I do think, you know what, that is from my family. We used to sit around at a table and everybody had an opinion and everybody heard out everybody's opinion. I probably did wait to hear everybody's to form my own, mm. especially as the youngest, right? The four and two, two parents in education. I probably did sit and wait to hear mm. everybody's view to form my own. Yeah. yeah um, because who am I to have made the right opinion, right? Um, so it must come from that. I don't feel, and I do not lose emotion 
uh, you know, do not get stressed. I do not allow myself to waste emotion mm. on situations or um, thoughts or, or yeah, situations where we don't know the outcome. I've got other mm. things to go and worry about. Yeah. What I'm hearing somebody, Rachel, is somebody with an incredibly high EQ. Um, you mentioned that you read a lot and from what you said, and I could be completely wrong, was that the books you were reading were about business, growth, self-development. Did, did I understand that correct? Yeah, I might not read books as such. I mean, I read a lot of books, but I read a lot of uh, fictional books, actually. Okay. To okay. let myself escape from, um, from yeah. you, know, very, you know, sometimes very stressful situations I will go and read to, to escape. I read a lot of uh, research. I le read a lot of um, articles, I would say, yeah. to really um, to make sure that I have heard all the opinions. I have read around yeah. that. Um, yeah. yeah, I do. I do make sure that I don't believe anyone has the one answer. And therefore, well, I want to form my opinion by making sure I read very different opinions, yeah. opposing situations. What have you read, whether it was a book, article, that had a profound impact on you, that really did make you sit up, think differently about something? You know, this, this is really timely because it's probably not what you're expecting, but um, I, I actually have read The Beekeeper of Aleppo. And I am now sponsoring at work uh, a charity, which is the Refugee Council Programme, which service now is part of and so are a number of my customers and we could be helping easily helping give a leg up to refugees in this country who are well educated have a great you know skill set to offer we just need to help them tie tie between a, uh, perhaps retraining and getting uh, getting an opportunity in some brilliant corporations that sit in this country and i had been listening to the, the work we've done I had said I was interested, I was trying to help because some of the customers were on our list, etc, etc. I read The Beekeeper of Aleppo and now I'm a sponsor of that charity at a senior leadership perspective in ServiceNow. And I, it, funny enough, even when I'm brushing my teeth or going for a run, I think about, wow, you know, we didn't choose where we were born. We didn't choose where we came from. And, you know, imagine one day waking up and realizing you have to leave your home, your town, your country, and you can't just get on a flight and fly out there. You've got to find a way to get out and you've got to get out now with whatever you can take with you and, and end up at a country where you don't speak the language, you don't know anything else and you're not paid any money and yet you are qualified uh, to do a job. And I, I suppose I'm grateful for where I live and the situation I live in, and I, I want to make sure I can make a difference. Yeah, no, I, I, I can I can empathise that. I do think it's something that's often in the Irish psyche, particularly because um, we've had many waves over centuries where we've had, whether from the famine times where two million people left our shores and travelled throughout the world, and, and, and we're in those kind of situations. And then you grow up with the songs and the stories. So it does live with you, so you can kind of identify with it. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a powerful human story, for sure. 
I think what it does is it exposes and 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 the the thing that I find most interesting about this is the 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 privilege we all take of being born in an open call it western democracy right and I'm not saying non westerns don't it but but where we are in the world we take for granted because it's like a fish in water it's just always there but it's only when you see those and you hear those stories and you kind of go well, what's that like and again I know it's in our history in Ireland but we still now at a younger generation can take it for granted because unless it's part of your own experience and those stories that you read can be really profound I, i've not heard it by the way the book the beekeeper of aleppo is is it about a person's journey from syria is it it's, a, it's actually a fictional book oh, but syria. it's based on the research of uh, um of somebody who went over to the greek um lived in Athens in some of the refugee camps based in 2000 and about 2007 but the person came back and then wrote the book based on the stories that they heard so although it's not a true story it is based on fact of what was happening and what did happen in some of these camps and you know told the story of of, of somebody because of the experiences that they they heard yeah, is that, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of time, Rachel, is that though, is that when we look at these things and we go back through history, whether it was the Trail of Tears in, 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 in America with Native Americans, we've had it where there's been pogroms against people of particular religions where they've had to leave their, leave their homeland, or you've had it through natural disasters like a famine, for example. We've, we've had those for centuries. Do we do we not learn from them? Is is it just something that's in the human psyche that we 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 forget? So you know, if life is good for us, that's it. It's fine. I do. I I I, t I think you can live in your life. You can live um, in your home. You know, with a garden, and let you know. Co we go right back to COVID. You know, do we really understand what it's like to live in a flat? with your kids and your husband or wife and try and do the job and homeschool etc until you have either had somebody tell you that and give you their side of the story or that you have experienced it yourself you don't transport yourself to understanding it and it's then only when you have that empathy and realization i could do something to help here that we then allow ourselves in to, to do something about it. But I think you have to hear the stories. We have to be listening. And I think it's a time and a place where, you know, and you're ready to listen. You know, I take back to where my husband passed away. You know, any news was, I was numb. I was numb. You know, anybody else died. It didn't matter. I, I was living in my world. And so not everybody is awake and alive and able to take those things on board at all times of their life. You know, when we're all stressed, you know, because perhaps COVID's hit, we've got work deadlines, we've got to do things. You try and minimalize what's going on in your life. But there are times also that we can open up and, and allow other things in and, and help. And that's and it, that also helps with feeling positive as well about what value you can bring. Yeah, what, what, what I'm hearing quite strongly come out of all of this is that more compassion, more empathy, and the world will be a much better place.
yeah when you've got time to do that within the world that you live in yeah well, well i think the, the, you're a better leader as well personally. yeah and the interesting thing that actually again it kind of comes full circle on what we talked about about COVID and the positives from it in terms of more time less stress is that at a physiological level one of the things i remember that reading which shocked me didn't shock me was that when we're stressed the 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 um i can't think of the particular hormone that that creates uh, empathy uh, and connection the, the feelings of empathy uh, of, of connection but that's diminished so when we have cortisol flowing through our veins that it actually suppresses the um again it, it doesn't matter but but so when we're all stressed we stop caring for one another and therefore when we can step back and take a bit more time and then have a bit more time for reading and connecting with those stories i think yeah maybe maybe we can all take something really positive i don't mean just the the micro level things that are positive such as friday night with the kids which is great but the macro level as 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 humans yeah. maybe we just all needed this to slow down a little and I think there's a lot of people who saw that. I think there's a lot of people who realise they've been running at 100 miles an hour, been commuting without questioning it, flying around the world without questioning it, have come back, realised what the family's about, realised what the home life's about, and what I hope will challenge the future of how yeah. they work so that it will bring more talent, it will help the work-life balance because ultimately we will be better at contributing to work yeah. and therefore improving the overall economy if we do that. Yeah. I, I, I have just I want to add to that and then I have one final question for you was I think we, we also need to remember that we live in a bubble in particularly in the technology industry because it goes on there's very few salespeople have lost their jobs um, or have taken a kickback and or a, a reduction in income but there's a lot of industries out there where people and, and, and SMEs who completely lost their business and, and they're probably feeling numb and people in hospitality sector and and the entertainment sectors who must be you know have lost a sense of purpose and feeling numb and i think it behoves all of us who have had the privilege of continuing to work even though we've had to adjust a little uh with benefits is that we need to i, th I guess have more compassion and understanding and empathy for those people as well because i can't imagine what that must be like no, I, I'm in agreement with you. It's something that very, very soon after lockdown, you know, I talked, um, we were talking about how do we help our teams? And, you know, one of the first things is we've still got jobs. You know, we actually are in an industry that's going to thrive in a way because we are the ones that are helping companies overcome where they're at. Um, and therefore, we, we we all sort of reflected on how grateful we, are, we were. Um, and I really hope that, you know, we will see companies really embrace how they can come out of this and, and execute uh, in a higher performance environment, really, because they've had to change quickly uh, and take on, you know, a more digital framework. Final question for you, Rachel. When, when, when all this is over and you eventually depart this earth uh, and there is a plaque or a statue erected in your honour and there's a plaque at the base. What would you like it to say about you? She was a great mum. That's a great place to uh, 
to end it there. I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, it's been a real pleasure, Rachel. Thank you very much for being my guest. That's Rachel Phillips, who's my guest today. Thank you again. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much.